Good morning, guys. It's good to see you. Um, all right. Yeah. Kathy's here, y'all. I don't know about where everybody else is, but Kathy is here, and she's happy to be here. Guys, I'm really happy to be here uh, to be able to worship with you guys. I know that uh, this weekend tends to be one of those weekends, unfortunately, that takes away our, our focus from being together as a family in Christ. And it's a great opportunity to spend time with family, yes, but I love that you guys are my family. I love that I get to spend my Sunday with you, worshiping the Lord and coming to His Word. And uh, so, that's what we're going to do now. If you would please open your Bibles to Luke chapter 12. I feel like we have been in Luke chapter 12 forever, because we have. Uh, because it is a rather long, abnormally long passage of Scripture. But we are nearing the end of this section of the book of Luke. And just to set the stage for you a little bit, where we are at kind of in this time in Jesus' ministry, he has been doing public ministry for a while, long enough to where he actually has a following of at least a couple thousand people. Because at the beginning of the chapter uh, 12 of Luke, it says, in the meantime, when so many thousands of people had gathered. Okay, so Jesus is pretty well known. And you know, if you've been here the last several weeks, or if you've been able to keep up on the sermons, like listening online and things like that, you know that like these, this chapter 12 has had some pretty heavy stuff in it. It's not really been easy pills to swallow. He said hard things to the crowd. He said hard things to his disciples. This isn't easy stuff, but where he's starting to land the plane, we're not going to all the way land the plane today, but we're, where we're going to start to land the plane today for this section of the book of Luke, Jesus is calling on everybody not just to listen to what he's saying, but to respond. There's something to respond to here. Before we actually dive in, I just want to pray one more time for us. Heavenly Father, God, I pray right now for those who are here listening to your word. God, that they would not just hear my voice, but that they would hear the voice of your spirit calling them to respond to the truth that they've heard today. Lord, I pray that the message of your gospel would be scattered and that you would not allow Satan to pick up the seeds, but Lord, that it would fall on good and fertile soil, that life would sprout and that you would allow that to be nourished over time and that they would grow into the biggest trees in the garden. God, you are able to do this. I am not. And so, God, would you please work today? I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, I think that I've lived enough life to this point to know that um, I don't think anybody's ever going to stop telling me to, like, enjoy the stage of life that you're in while you have it. Have you ever been told that by anybody? Right, like while you're a little kid, okay, in elementary school, and you say, man, I can't wait till I don't have to do all this dumb school stuff, and I just get to grow up and do whatever I want, and like, what's everybody around you saying? Like, no, enjoy nap time at school while you have it, right? Amen, right? If you were like me, you still had nap time in high school, even though you weren't supposed to, but, uh, like, but like when you are in high school, what's everybody telling you? It's like, no, you do not want to grow up and be an adult, 
Like, you don't want that. You want to enjoy this time of no responsibility while you have it, right? But then whenever you get into that and you start going into college, if you go to the college or whatever, like, what did everybody tell you? They say, make the most of these years, right? Enjoy them while you have them because they're going to be gone. Like, these are going to be some of the best years of your life. People say stuff like that. Or then, like, when you get married, if you get married, like, what happens? Like, people will tell you, like, man, just enjoy being married. You're never going to get this season back. And then, you know, if you all start having kids, what's everybody say to you? Like, your life is nuts. You're stressed out. Your hair is turning gray or falling out. And, you know, that happened to me before I had kids, so there might be other things considered. But what's everybody tell you? Despite the fact that your life is nuts... Despite the fact that your life is just crazy and you feel like there's no end to it and you say things like, I cannot wait until it doesn't take an hour to put my kids to bed. I can't wait until they just like want me to leave them alone. What does everybody look at you and say? They say, oh, no, 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 no. You enjoy these years while you have them because they're going to go away. You're not going to have the chance to do this again. And that's as far as I've gotten in life, so I don't know if people keep saying stuff like that to you, but I would assume that they do, right? Like, I've, I have actually heard people say to those who are nearing retirement age, or maybe they're in retirement, say, listen, you need to make the most of these years. These can be some of the most productive years of your life. People say that. I think that where we are at in Luke chapter 12 today, that is exactly the message that Jesus is trying to get across to this crowd that has been listening to all these things that he's been saying. They're saying, listen, you have a chance here to make the most of this. You want to know what everybody is doing when they look back and they tell you to make the most of where you're at in life right now, to not want to move on? It's because most likely what they're doing, they're looking back on their time with their kids and seeing how they blew it. And they don't want you to make that same mistake. They're looking back on their time in college and they're saying, man, I spent like way too much time being concerned about my grades and did not develop those deep, good friendships that I wish I had now. They blew it. And they don't want you to do that either. The heart that Jesus has for us today in this passage is he wants you to look at where you're at right now, the opportunity that you have right now, and not blow it. Because you can you can blow it. So let's dive into our passage. Luke chapter 12, we're at the very end, so verse 54. He said also to the crowd. So right now Jesus is no longer talking to just his disciples. He's talking to everybody. He says, he also said to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once, a shower is coming. And so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, there will be scorching heat, and it happens. You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? So at the risk of, um, of looking like a middle school geography teacher today, I brought a map with me that I want you to, to look at. So this is a map of the region in the Middle East, right? 
Uh, so you have Greece up there. That's like the northwest. Egypt is at the southwest. And this, you can't really see it down here in the, in the bottom uh, right-hand corner, but that's like Saudi Arabia. So you have the Arabian Desert and Turkey. But in the middle, smack dab in the middle, you see that there is a region that's circled red. So if you don't know much about the, the land that Jesus was doing ministry in, that area that's circled red, like that's where Jesus was doing his ministry. Okay? Jesus is somewhere in that place when he's talking to this crowd of people. Okay? We don't know exactly where he is. The text doesn't really tell us. But this is where he's at. And Jesus, all of a sudden, turns to the crowd and starts talking about weather patterns. I know this sounds really weird, but just hang with me. because, And the reason I do all this is because I think it's a great opportunity for you to see that, listen, the Bible's not just made up of a ton of like random stories. But these are real people. These are real places. And these real places actually have real weather patterns. It kind of blows your mind when you think about the fact that like this isn't just a story. This happened. It's real. What does Jesus say? He says, listen, you're able to see a cloud rising in the west, and you predict that rain is coming. What's directly to the west of that area? The Mediterranean Sea. And when you see a cloud rising in the west, well, what's happening? Well, that's the water being heated by the sun, and it's evaporating and condensing into clouds, and it'll be blown inland, and it's going to rain. Pretty normal weather pattern that people would have known about. People would have been able to understand what he was talking about. But then he says, and when you feel the wind blowing from the south, you think, oh, it's going to be really hot today. And you're right. You want to know why? What's south of there? Nothing but desert. You got desert over in Egypt, desert over in, over in Saudi Arabia in that area. Like, it's all desert. And so listen, you feel the wind blowing from the south, it's going to blow hot air. I have no idea why people in the middle of summer don't turn their air conditioning on and just roll their windows down because all you're doing is letting hot air blow on you. Does that make any sense? That was a rant. That has nothing to do with my sermon. But I just think it's a cool picture for you to see that, listen, Jesus is talking to these people and he is giving them clear signs that make sense, that they understand these signs that they're able to interpret and accurately predict what is coming in the future. But then he says, you are hypocrites because there is a clear sign that is standing in front of you right now that you can see, that you've experienced, that you've heard, and you are not making an accurate interpretation of what you're seeing. And it wasn't just that they didn't understand the sign that he was showing them. They were just outright ignoring it. What was the sign? It was him. He was performing miracles. He was teaching things. He was saying things. He was revealing things about the Old Testament scriptures that should have been absolutely clear that they knew who he was. They knew what was happening, but they were ignoring it. They were ignoring it. In Luke chapter 7, earlier in this sermon series, one of the parts that we went through was a time when John the Baptist was doubting. He wasn't exactly sure. He wanted to make sure of who Jesus was because things weren't exactly playing out how he thought they would. And so he sends messengers to Jesus to ask him to confirm and just say, Jesus, are you actually the, are you the one that, that I've been waiting for? Are you, the, are you the Messiah? Listen to Jesus' response to him. This is chapter 7, verse 22. It says, and he answered them, go and tell John what you've seen and heard. The blind receive their sight. 
the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. What does Jesus say to John? John's looking for, for some assurance, and what does he tell him to do? Look at what you've seen. Look at what you've heard. The signs are clear. Jesus doesn't even have to say, yes, I am. He just points to the clear signs that if you just follow the logical steps, it makes sense. Yes, I am the Messiah. Jesus has come and he has been teaching these people clearly who he is. That salvation is offered through him. But instead of responding, they are choosing to ignore who he is. They're taking these truths and they're playing games And the only reason they're willing to do that is because they don't see the gravity of the situation that they are in. They don't see the opportunity that's before them. And so in order to show them the opportunity that's before them, Jesus presents them with a scenario. And at the beginning of the scenario, he says, listen, you tell me, what would you do here? Okay, so let's keep going in Luke 12. Now in verse 57, this is the scenario he presents. He says, and why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge and the judge hand you over to the officer and the officer put you in prison. I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the very last penny. Jesus presents them with a scenario to demonstrate to them, to show them, to help them realize, listen, this is a pretty grave situation that you're in right now. If, if you, let me just tell it to you like this. If you were in the scenario where you were being dragged to the magistrate to answer for some crimes, and most likely what he has in mind here is a person that has borrowed money and failed to pay on his debt, we know that because of what he says next, that like you won't get out until you paid every last penny. So there was something back then called debtor's prison. So today, nowadays, if you miss a payment on your credit card, what happens? Unless you're Glenn and you don't have credit cards. Uh, So what happens? You miss a payment on your credit card, you probably get some kind of fee. It's relatively low. Uh, You'll probably be charged interest on that credit card. You know, you you miss a payment on your mortgage. What, What happens? You get a statement. You say, hey, you missed this payment. And, you know, it's, it's not that bad, you know, and, you know, you can catch up and, and get ahead of it, but not so in this community. In this community, in this culture, like, if you borrowed money and you fail to pay back the money that you owe, you are thrown into prison. And you are not let out of prison until your debt has been fully paid. But the, there's a problem. You're in prison. You can't pay on your debt. Your family has to do it for you. And so by being thrown into prison, you have immediately thrown your family into hardship for a very long time because all the money they're making, they're having to pay it so that you can get out. And very often, they would beat the prisoners who were in debtor's prison in order to motivate the family to pay on their behalf. So Jesus presents them with a situation and says, look, if you are on your way being dragged to the magistrate in order to be thrown into debtor's prison and you have the opportunity to settle with your accuser, wouldn't you try to settle? Yeah. The answer is obvious. 
And Jesus is saying, like, look, that's exactly the situation that you are in right now. You have a chance to settle with your accuser. Jesus is trying to wake you up to the reality of your situation. The reality of your situation is the same reality that I face. I hate to break it to you, but listen, all of us right now, our, the trajectory of our existence is towards the throne room of God. We will all die one day at different times, maybe at all the same time if Jesus comes back. But every single one of us, we are presented with the same scenario. We are all on our way to the throne room to be judged by God. You want to know why? Because we are all debtors. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every single one of us will stand before him with a debt that we have not been able to repay. And we will one day have to answer to him. And he will say, are you guilty of these crimes? And our answer has to be yes, because we are guilty. But Jesus has been among these people. And he's been teaching them that there is a way to escape the judgment of God. There is a way to have your debt paid. You have an opportunity here. You have a chance here to not be thrown into prison. Listen, the only reason that any of us will be able to stand before God on his throne one day as we are being judged and say that, yeah, I am a debtor, but I don't have to go to prison because my debt has been paid. Someone that actually has the wealth, someone that has the ability to pay my debt has done it for me. This is the scenario you're presented with. You are on your way, being taken by your accuser to the throne room of God to be judged. Won't you take this opportunity to settle with your accuser? Won't you take this opportunity to have your debt paid? Because once you get there, that opportunity will be gone. That's the whole point of what Jesus is saying right now. Right now you have an opportunity, but you won't later. Right now you have this chance, but one day that chance will be gone. At the risk of sounding a little lighthearted, it, this is a limited time offer. This isn't going to be around forever. You have the chance for your debt to be paid. There's a passage, I think, that captures the reality of this situation beautifully in Second Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 8. He says this, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But... The day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done in it will be exposed. Listen, yeah, I know that Jesus hasn't come back yet. Yeah, I know you are still alive and you are still sitting in these seats. I know that. But listen, the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Why like a thief? Because nobody expects a thief to come. Nobody plans for a thief to come. They just come. It just happens. 
And when it happens, it happens at the time when you will least expect it. And when that thief comes, when the day of the Lord comes, your opportunity will be gone. The sale at the store will be over. You'll have missed your shot. Listen, I'm saying this to you today, and I just want, I don't want you to see this because there are some of you that are here today that you, you've been coming here long enough to know what the message of the gospel is. You've been coming here long enough to know that you have guilt for your own sin. You've been coming here long enough to know all these things, but you're still playing games. You're still not taking the opportunity that's been given to you. You're playing games and you don't see the precariousness of the situation that you are in. That you have a chance right now, but you won't always. You have a shot right now, but that shot will one day be gone. And I, you know, as I was thinking about this, I was thinking like, why on earth? Why on earth would you not take this chance? Why would you not have, take the opportunity to have all of your debt paid for? To have everything covered over. To be absolved of all your sins. Why would you not take that chance? As I was thinking, I've thought through several reasons. I've got five reasons. And listen, you might be listening to me be like, Scott, I don't, I don't think this really applies to me. Because I, I kind of have taken chance of that opportunity. Like I am following Christ. I have responded to this. But listen, I want you to listen to this. In the sense that there are people in your life that have these reasons. And you need to know that so you can know how to respond to them. You know how to talk to them. Reason number one, why would somebody pass over this opportunity to be absolved of their sin is simply because they don't understand the risk. They don't understand what's at stake. That's the reason Jesus went through this whole scenario is because these people didn't see that they don't have forever to make this decision. You are not guaranteed tomorrow you are being dragged before the judge. People that don't understand the risk, they don't understand that at the end, if your, if your debt has not been paid, there is judgment for you. There is debtor's prison for you. Hell is real. I heard somebody talking the other day about how uncomfortable it is to talk about the reality of hell with people that we know, with people that we love and that we care about. And they said something very profound uh, that I, you know, I, I've had a hard time getting off of my mind, that listen... Hell is a real place. And it is such an uncomfortable thing to talk about. Who is going to tell the people of this world that hell is real if not us? Who's going to tell them if not you? Who's going to tell this world that hell is real, that punishment is real, judgment is real, but you don't have to experience it if you would trust in Christ? Who's going to tell the world that message if not us? We've been entrusted with these truths. So we've got to tell them. Reason number two. I think quite honestly, if people are honest with you, and I've talked to people that have been very honest with me about this, it's because they enjoy their life too much. They understand that there is a real reason, or that, that, that if they were to choose to believe in Christ and to follow Christ, that means they would have to leave behind certain aspects of their life that, quite frankly, they just enjoy too much to do that. I like my sin too much. I kind of like the way I'm, I'm engaging in this community. Or I don't want to have to deal with that. I don't want to lose my group of friends. I don't want to do that because 
I'm quite happy with how I'm living right now. It's great. But I don't think, I don't think you understand. Like if, if the reason you're not responding to the gospel and the reason you're not trusting in Christ is because you think that what you have right now is better, man, you don't, I don't think you fully comprehend the joy that comes with having all of the weight of your guilt lifted and gone. No more guilt. No more shame. No more judgment. But full and complete fellowship with God, your creator. That is so much more enjoyable. Reason number three, that people kind of ignore this message of Christ and choose to not make this decision is because there's just a lot of excuses. There's reason after reason after reason after reason to not do this. Some of them that you have maybe heard before is because it, it's just really inconvenient. It would be really inconvenient. This is kind of like the last one, but it'd just be really inconvenient for me to have to change everything about my life. Like I've built my life like this. It would be really inconvenient to have to like give all that up and take and follow after Christ and for him to be everything for me. That's just really inconvenient. Or it might be something like this. Um, you know what? I, I think I believe what you're saying, but I'm just going to live my life a little bit right now. Like I'm still young and I want to enjoy life while I have it, while I'm able to. And I will, I, I'll take this and I'll consider it later. I'll deal with it later. Or an excuse that I hear a lot of times is that, listen, you know what? I see what you're saying about Jesus and all this, but I just don't think that I could follow a religion that is capable of such injustices in the past, like the Inquisitions. I don't think that I could follow a religion that was responsible for things like the Crusades or just look at all the sexual abuse scandals that are happening in churches right now. I just, I can't be part of something like that. In the end, all of those things are excuses that's taking your mind away from what is actually at hand. The way I kind of think about this is put yourself in this scenario. I'm going to do what Jesus did. I'm going to put you in the scenario. You're in the scenario of you're on a plane, and the pilots just come over the, the intercom and said, uh, guys, I've got some bad news, and I've got some good news. Bad news is plane's going down. That's like the worst news possible on an airplane, okay? Plane's going down. But I have some good news. We have enough parachutes on board for every person that is on this plane. There is no reason that anybody has to die today. Right? That's the gospel. Bad news is your plane's going down. Like your engines are broke and you're going. Good news is there is a parachute of the gospel of Christ that if you believe and you trust in Christ, there is no reason why you have to perish today. No reason. But when people start giving excuses, this is what you're doing. The stewardess comes by and gives you your parachute, hands it to you, and you say, you know what, actually, there's a few things I wanted to do first. Can I go to the bathroom, actually? How silly is that to think that, like, you need to go to the bathroom first or to think, actually, you know what, I'm I need to finish up this chapter in my book. I'd like to read that. Or my movie's not over. Can we just wait to crash until my movie's over? It's like, you don't understand the urgency of your situation. The plane is going down, and you're worried about a movie? Listen, the end of time, Jesus is coming back, and you're worried about advancing your career? The plane is coming back, and you're is going down, and you're worried about all of these little things that will one day be gone anyways? 
or it's just this, this idea of discomfort, the idea that, oh, you know what, that, that parachute actually looks kind of heavy. That'd be pretty inconvenient to put that on. I think I might just wait until it, it, like we're right about to jump, and then I'll put it on. That's silly, man. That's silly. A little bit of discomfort now is so worth it when you're on the ground safe. Or you have the other scenario of like somebody that takes the parachute and, you know, just kind of looking it over, thinking about it for a little bit. And you say, where was this parachute made? Because I, I, I just have a, uh, a moral obligation to not use materials that have been made in China and sweatshops that have children laborers. I just have a moral, you know, I, I can't do this. I can't be a part of something like that. You know what I want to say to you? Like, you know what? I don't want to be a part of something like that either. I think that's a problem that needs to be addressed. But we can address those things when we are on the ground alive. Christianity has a lot of problems in its past. Churches have a lot of problems within them. But guess what? Those are problems that we can deal with when we're alive. Those are problems we can address when you're alive. I don't want you to hear me wrong when I'm saying this. I don't want you to hear me say you can't ask questions. You can ask questions. There are actually some questions that are really good for you to ask. Like, you should ask the question, is this a parachute or a backpack? Because one of them leads to life, the other one leads to death. You should ask questions that make sense. Like, you should ask, how do I work this parachute? How does it work? Is this a functional parachute? There are questions that, yes, you need to figure out about Christianity before you make the decision to follow Christ. But listen, there are some that are just going to have to wait. You need to make a decision. There, this is urgent right now. The decision is urgent. Get rid of your excuses. The fourth one is this. I think this one is really, really prevalent in our community. People don't take the offer of the gospel seriously because they don't see anybody else around them taking it seriously. Like, you know, take the plane analogy again. Pilot comes over the intercom and says, hey guys, the plane's going down. We have parachutes that you need. If the rest of the people on the plane are just kind of like, eh, okay, and they don't make a big deal out of it, but you're sitting here thinking to yourself like, Did, wait, like, am I the only person that heard that? Did he just say the plane's going down? And you start like freaking out and getting like uneasy and thinking that you should be doing something. But you look around and you're like, well, nobody else is doing anything. Nobody else is freaking out about this, so maybe I shouldn't either. You're making a mistake when you do that because you're, you're judging what you should do based on the crowd that's around you. That's not safe. That feeling that you get that something is wrong, that you need to do something right here, if you've felt that and you've never acted on that, I just want to tell you right now, that's the Holy Spirit saying something to you that you need to act, that you need to move, you need to do this. It doesn't matter what the rest of the world is saying to you. It doesn't matter what the rest of the world is doing. It doesn't matter that the rest of the world is rejecting this gospel that you've heard. It doesn't matter that nobody else believes that judgment is coming. The Holy Spirit is speaking to you and saying, this is true. Get up. Get a parachute. You need it. This is real. This is true. Now, obviously, most of what I have said today is for anyone in here who has not yet trusted in Jesus for salvation. 
But there's a lot of you in here that I know have professed to have faith in Christ. I think this one specifically is an opportunity for you to not just think about what other people are doing, but to examine your own life and your own heart and your own priorities. I want you to ask it to you like this. Would any unbelievers that you know, whether they're your family, your friends, your coworkers, your neighbors, be able to look at your life and look at the things that you talk about and say, well, they don't really seem concerned about the end, about judgment. They don't really seem concerned about this Jesus stuff. So why should I be? Like I said, you of all people should be the ones with the loudest voices that Christ is returning, that judgment is real, but that salvation is offered. If you don't tell it to him, who will? It would be such a tragedy. I think Perry said this at one of our members' meetings the other day, that it would be such a tragedy for you and I to simply walk along with our friends towards the gates of eternity just to have to leave them there. And we walk in and we leave them behind. What a tragedy would that be? Don't let it be true of anyone in your life. Don't let it be true that they would believe that this stuff isn't a big deal because of the way they see you live. What a tragedy that would be. The last one, I'll close with this one. The last one is this, is the reason that people, I think sometimes don't respond in the way that they need to respond is because they honestly just think they are too far gone. I've done too much. My debt is too big. I can't be saved. That's not for people like me. That's not for people that have done the things I've done. And listen, maybe it's not that you've done one really bad thing. Maybe it's just that you have this unbroken line of sin in your life that you just don't think that you could ever be absolved of this. I just want to implore you right now and just think and just tell you, like, look, you misunderstand something. You have a misunderstanding of the nature of God's grace. Jesus once told a man that who thought he was righteous. Jesus once told that man that it is not healthy people that need a doctor. It's a sick person. Sick people need doctors. And for you to say that I am... I am not good enough. I can't come to Jesus because I am too broken. I am too lost. I am, I am too far gone. That is like you saying to your doctor, Doctor, I don't think I can come in today. I'm sick. Silly, isn't it? It's silly. That's why the doctor's there. He became a doctor so that he could help sick people. If you're sick, that's exactly who you need to go to. I was reading this morning in uh, Ephesians chapter 2, and uh, I didn't plan on this, but Ephesians chapter 2, I saw something there this morning that just kind of blew my mind. You know what, actually, do you, like, realize this, the more sick you are, the more your doctor actually wants you there, Right? Sometimes, if it's just a little cough, 
Like the doctor might say like, yeah, you know what, just do this and do this and do this. You don't need to come in. But if you say, yeah, I've got a cough and a fever, like, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, you might need to come in. Or you, you know, make it, I have a cough, a fever, and I'm vomiting everywhere. Like, yeah, you probably really need to come in. Or like, hey, my arm fell off. Get here now, right? It's like the more sick you are, the more the doctor wants to see you to make you better. Listen, the worse Sinner, you are the more Christ wants to pay for your sin. You want to know why? Because it makes him great. Because it makes him glorious. It brings him all the glory, all the value, all the praise. It makes him look really good when he is able to pay for your sin. When you have a heaping pile of debt and he's able to come pay that that shows how wealthy he is that shows how generous he is that shows how good he is let me read this passage to you from ephesians chapter 2 says in verse 4 but god being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together with christ by grace you've been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ. Listen to this, verse 7. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Why have you been saved? So that he can show off how good he is. So he can show off how gracious he is. So he can show off how wealthy he is. So where he could pay a debt even as big as yours. Jesus doesn't want little sinners. He wants big sinners. He wants people that don't come to him and say, you know what, I probably haven't been the most perfect person in my life. You know what, I might have made a mistake here and there. I might have done that. That's not the kind of person that brings God glory. The kind of person that brings God glory is the person that is like beyond the point of no return. Sinner of sinners. Broken people of broken people. Those are the people that God is able to show off around. Because he loves you. And he has a grace that is offered to you. You're sick. You need a savior. And he's a doctor. That can save you. But. It won't be here forever. One day. The last trumpet will be blown. The curtain will close. And your opportunity to respond. Will be gone. And you won't feel the mercy and the grace of God and the burden of your sin lifted. You will feel the weight of a heavy hand of judgment. Listen, guys, the plane's going down, but there's a parachute for every single person in this room, and there's no reason why you have to die. If you've never responded to the call of the gospel to trust in Jesus for your salvation, to put on this parachute that can save your life for eternity. You need to respond today. There is an urgency about what Jesus is saying. You need to respond today. And you can do that. Talk to me. Talk to Perry. Talk to your mom. Talk to your dad. Talk to your grandparents. Talk to people you know that follow this Jesus and say, what do I need to do? How do I respond to this? I don't even know what to do. 
and they can help you do that. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I do pray that you would impress the urgency of this situation upon our hearts. Lord, upon the hearts of those who are here that do not know you, that need to know you. God, that they would stop playing games. They would stop making excuses. That they would understand the reality of hell and judgment. But that they would understand that you are a very wealthy yet generous God who freely clears those who would confess that they are debtors. Lord, I pray that if people do not respond today, that they would not be able to get this off of their minds until they say something to someone. Lord, I pray that no one would leave here and die not knowing you. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.